0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp and on the other line, Ben Galver. What's up, man?
1: Not too much, Andrew. I know you've carefully selected some great emails from openfloormail at gmail.com and I know you want to talk about sort of the developing playoff pictures in both conferences. But before we do that, can I just have a minute to offer some constructive feedback to our guy, Steph Curry? Go for it.
0: I, I have no idea where this is going, but
1: I'm excited. I want to call it feedback. I don't want to call it criticism because Steph Curry really went out on a limb this weekend uh, with the Players' Tribune essay and, and talking about veterans' rights. Obviously, it was Veterans Day and... Uh, you could kind of tell he was wandering out onto a branch that he wasn't totally comfortable on. I don't know if you saw like Ayesha tweeted, hey, I'm so proud of you. Steve Kerr tweeted his support. Yeah. It, it kind of seemed like Steph Curry was trying to get himself comfortable with this essay. And I know you're worried because I mentioned Players Tribune and you think I'm just going to, you know, rip the writing style and say <laughs> he buried the lead and do all the things that I usually do. But like I said, it's feedback, uh, not criticism. And okay. You know, Steph had a couple of points, but when I think about Steph, first of all, as sort of like a leader as a human being, uh, I think of that old phrase "random acts of kindness." Now, I don't know if this was a big deal back east, but up in like the hippy dippy Pacific Northwest, you know, we used to go to summer camp, and there'd just be these caravans (laughs) of Subarus, and they would always have the bumper stickers would be like "coexist" and "random acts of kindness." That is. Wait, so were you
0: a camp kid?
1: Uh, a little bit, a little summer camp, you know, family camp. We'd sit around in circles holding each other's hands and tie-dyeing shirts and, and getting into it.
0: That's fantastic. I'd love to imagine you at like a wet, hot American summer type camp in the uh, drama not, club, just chilling.
1: Not quite like that, but uh, <laughs> he is the random acts of kindness guy. The Warriors and Steph Curry walk the walk on this stuff, whether it's giving Absolutely. hundreds of autographs, whether it's the wildlife uh, wildfires, you know, donating money, whether it was that ghost town thing. These guys are always about contributing to their community, stepping up, doing what's right. That is Steph's lane, right? Now, there's another lane of sort of leadership. And, uh, you know, frankly, it, there's a lot of grandiosity involved with it. I'm, I'm thinking about like Master P and the no-limit soldiers. Like, he's convincing people to wear, like, you know, fatigues and helmets or, like, dip set. You know, Cameron and and uh, Joel Satana, they're draped in the flag, and all their fans are wearing pink, and they, they really believe they're, like, an army or a navy, and they're going to, like, take over the world. I mean, that's sort of the mindset of those guys, and that's why I want to have this conversation because Steph has this insane platform. I think he's starting to figure that out. There is a lot of people like you, like me, like everybody who follows his wife on Instagram, who are sort of hanging on his every word. And in this essay for the Players' Tribune, he tells a great story about meeting a veteran, right? And Uh his takeaway was like, look, these veterans do not care about Kaepernick taking a knee. They don't care about those protests. That does not bother them. Uh, They do not feel insulted by it. What they want is what everybody else wants, health care, benefits, a job, uh, you know, the ability to get back into society after they serve. That's a great point. Uh, But what Steph did in his uh, his essay, he kind of stopped short. You know, he decided to be the guy who was like, hey, let's just have this conversation. Let's refocus. Let's cut through all the noise. And let's realize that there's veterans out there. He needs to channel his inner Cameron, his inner Master P. He needs to get a little bit more forthright and maybe even a little bit more grandiose and a little bit direct and I, like I said I think that's outside his comfort zone I think he needs to to connect the dots for people and say hey look this is an issue and this is how I want you to help me address it this is how I'm addressing it I found this veterans charity and I'm donating money to it and here's the link right here at the bottom of the essay you go do- donate money to it if you're with me on this Steph Curry, in the whole essay, he's talking about the noise, the noise, and he's decrying all the noise that's out there. And of course, I think a lot of people probably uh, blame the current president for that. We've seen that Steph can cut through all of that noise with a simple statement of, I don't really want to go to the White House. That dominates the news cycle for multiple days. Steph has the ability to cut through all of that noise. People will listen and people respect him because uh, he has been genuine throughout his entire career. So Steph- tell people what to do with their money. Tell people what to do uh, with their time. I know that's not your natural inclination. I mean, his preference yeah. is to hit 10 three-pointers, to shoot 65 on the golf course, and to go home and rub Ayesha's feet. That's his ideal day. <laughs> but he's realizing he- at, at this point right now that he, he has got the ability to really shape and mold minds so do it. You know, take that next step. Tell us what we should be doing as part of Curry Nation. That's all. That's constructive yeah. feedback. Look, man. I just think if you're going to take the time to write, you know, a 2,000 word essay on the Players Tribune, you know, make that a call to action. Make that a very specific thing. You know, how do we, uh, how do we influence the world from this message? How are we going to tangibly change something? That's what I want to see from Steph on his next essay. And I think he's going to get more comfortable. I think he's going to understand that this first one might not have resonated quite as much as he had hoped, uh, and hopefully he takes it to the next
0: step next time. Well, I appreciate your constructive feedback there. Um I think it did resonate, uh, whatever. I, it may not have resonated with you, and honestly, I agree with a lot of what you said, though, because I read, I mean, like, as we know, I, I'm a Steph guy. I love Steve Kerr, and I expected a little bit more from what he wrote, Um, and this is kind of a random way to start the podcast, but I'm glad you raised it, because it just sort of felt a little empty towards the end. Like He was decrying all the noise, the noise, the noise. It's not that we are demanding action, but it was a great opportunity to say, and yes, this is what we're going to do to help veterans who there are like a slew of causes surrounding veterans trying to reenter society that are absolutely worth his time and money, um, and uh, well, and
1: here's one example. I mean, that church down in Texas, right? Horrible mm-hmm. shooting. Unfortunately, it happens to be a situation where the person was uh, formerly, uh, you know, in the military. Do you draw a connection and say, hey, just these people are in need. Let's donate some money to them. I mean, that would have been one really obvious way where he could have tied that together. Uh, I think I came away from that essay thinking, man, Steph's a good guy. You know, good for him for for saying these things. That shouldn't be the takeaway of his next essay. We already know Steph's a good guy. The the takeaway for the next one should be, Steph's a good guy, and I'm contributing to this cause because Steph's down with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the essay was fine. It was just very careful and basically impossible to disagree with. And um, it's the sort of thing that, like, Russell Wilson would write. And I've spent several years arguing that Steph is much cooler than Russell Wilson. So hopefully this is sort of like a first step, dipping his toe in the water. And again, his feedback was universally positive. So uh, I'm sure that he will sort of continue to push the boundaries a little bit if we want to look at this class half full. Like, this is really only the beginning for Steph. And the Warriors are going to win five more titles. So... (laughs) We'll have plenty of time in the spotlight. I still, I have no idea where you were going with the Master P, Cash Money, Navy <laughs> element of this, but I'm glad you threw it in there, just as a little curveball for people. No, um, I'm just, I'm just
1: saying there are different ways that people go about their business, <laughs> right? And sure. Steph is not out there telling us all to wear pink head to toe, or like getting us in fatigues and being part of this curry navy, right? That's he, he's uncomfortable. The way that I read that essay was he was uncomfortable asking us to do something, right? He wanted to settle for the conversation. All I'm saying is, Steph, don't be afraid to ask.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, cool. We can look forward to that. Um, Should we talk about actual basketball? You wanted to talk about the West. I want to talk about the East. So where should we start on that one? No,
1: start where you want to talk. I mean, uh, one thing that we always do this time of year, we look at the playoff picture and usually after like three, three and a half weeks, You know, six or seven of the teams who are ultimately going to be in the playoffs from both conferences have already established themselves in the playoffs, right? That's not a hard and fast rule, but you look back at last year, that's pretty much how it was. So in the Eastern Conference, uh, we haven't seen an insane level of separation, but we have seen a little bit. uh, And so that's probably the place to start.
0: That's actually a great point. It usually only takes like A couple weeks before we start to see the hierarchy fall into place and I don't (laughs) think we're there in either conference right now but I just want to say the East this is potentially a warm take but to me the East is a little bit more fun than the West this year okay why is that
1: you're, you're basically just...
0: <laughs> advocating for
1: the AAA over the show, and this is something that you know I will hold against you for all of time if it doesn't prove to be true. So make a good case here.
0: No. Okay. So my case begins with your AAA major leagues analogy here because it's something we've been saying since July, and I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. I don't think that's the right analogy for the conferences this year. I think that it's closer to... NFL and college football because the West is this unforgiving landscape where basically everyone is kind of perpetually unhappy and we talk more about teams flaws than we do their strengths and everybody is headed for uh, an ugly ending and it's just hard to like get too invested even in a team like the Thunder, or even in a team like the Rockets or Spurs because you sort of know where things are going and it's not going to be as as fun to sort of watch the journey. The flip side is the East. The East is just straight chaos right now. There are like 10 to 12 potential playoff teams. I'm, I'm looking at the standings right now. Like The Hornets in 12th place could absolutely be a playoff team. The Pistons are in second place at ten and three, and it just is sort of like nobody is as good as the teams in the West. Like you could probably take five teams in the West who would finish in first or second place in the East, but uh, I also think that like the the lack of talent at the top has allowed some of these other teams to thrive and and thrive with weird experiments like the the Knicks have legitimate playoff hopes this year and have really no one beyond Chris Stapps and I guess like Ennis Cantor, like Courtney Lee. I, there's just not a lot there, but it can still work and be fun. And I'm I'm enjoying this little stretch where all these strange stories are given room to breathe and we can sort of see where they go.
1: I can't believe I'm saying this,
0: but... Your analogy is
1: airtight. I've been sitting over here trying to figure yes. out how to poke a hole in it, but I think you, I, I think you know I think
0: you won me over. This is pretty good.
1: <laughs> so we have to I call see, the know, Eastern
0: Conference D one from now on. Exactly. I know that you're a college football fan, so it, it would be harder for you to to ignore the the analogy, the truth in that analogy, and uh, the, the the other thing, keeping it with the college football analogy. Half of these teams are complete frauds and we all kind (laughs) of know it. (laughs) And we can just sort of see how long they can string it along. And that's fun too. Like the Celtics are 12 and two, really good. I'm not here to hate on the Celtics. They are, and they could, they could win 60 games this year, but they are sort of like slow down one second.
1: Aren't you really here to hate on the Celtics though? I mean, you said the word <laughs> frauds and the very first t- w- team name out of your mouth was the no. Celtics. You've been reading four days worth of emails from open floor listeners saying you completely misspoke when you called the Wizards more talented than the Celtics. It's in the back of your mind. You want to shoot back. You want to call these guys. I mean, what's a college football team that never lives up to the hype? I mean, who are you comparing the Celtics well, to? Well, I yeah. was
0: going to compare them to Georgia, where like we were watching oh. them put up great numbers, and we know that it's not actually going to end well. But I, the, the only reason I threw out the Celtics first is because I'm staring at the Eastern Conference standings right now, and they're at the top of the list. I will absolutely cop to hating what's happening with the Celtics as the Wizards sort of, like, piss away another opening month of the season, look completely uneven. Uh, It's been tough to watch the Celtics look this well-oiled and just, like, excellent across the board. I am saving some of the angry emails. Like, we we may have to record like a bonus podcast that we release on christmas day and it will just be me reading all the like november victory laps from celtics fans taunting me and my shitty wizards so look forward to that christmas afternoon i will leave my wife's family and go (laughs) taunt celtics fans for an hour
1: yeah, Sunday we had the insufferable face-off where like the Celtics' winning streak was on the line, but then DeRozan had the ball with the, with the game on the line, and <laughs> it was just like which one, which outcome are you kind of like rooting for, like based on who do you want to hear from less? And surprise, surprise, DeRozan bricked twice, and the Raptors lost, and the Celtics' winning streak continues. But that was a close one. I mean, that was a, a real lesser of two evils moment.
0: Well, and jokes aside, the Celtics are legitimately. Very good. I think the Wizards will eventually make their way to that top tier. But beyond that, beyond those two teams who have good players and play relatively smart and will be able to maybe put some separation between themselves and the rest of the conference, there are still like 10 or 11 teams. The Pistons, I mean, this can't be sustainable from Detroit, right? Well, not to this level,
1: but I, I going back to the idea of separation. I think if you start ten and three, the odds that you fall out of the playoff picture, you know, are not very good. I mean, these guys, we mm-hmm. got to be thinking about them as pretty much a locked in playoff team. Uh, you go down their roster. I mean, Jackson's been better than we've been calling him in terms of the root canal, but it's not like he's lighting the absolute world on fire. Andre Drummond's yeah. definitely been more effective, and the free throw thing is you know that changes them as a playoff team because you can't just sit him for the entire fourth quarter like Stan did you know 2 years ago when they were in the playoffs Tobias Harris been red hot that will
0: probably cool off a little bit that, and there that's the element that i don't totally trust like to, drummond you can sell me on like the last year last season he was just sort of in a funk it was tough uh and and this is closer to like the real player that he is but Tobias Harris, he's got to be averaging like 25 a game so far. And he's been excellent. And that's, I, I, it's hard to imagine that he's able to keep that up.
1: I'm almost positive he was like the one guy I recommended in a fantasy basketball podcast. So who knows? Uh. <laughs> he, he was.
0: And I've never liked his game. So I would not allow myself to draft him. He's kind of like a poor man's mellow. Mellow without any of the cool stuff. But he's playing really well. So credit to him.
1: Yeah, I think also their depth, too. You know, that, that gets me a little nervous. Like, Bradley misses time, then what happens, you know? But yeah, in terms of when you're looking at, like, who's going to be a playoff team, we didn't necessarily think that they were going to be rock solid. I think we had them or Philly as, like, the eighth seed coming in. Um, mm-hmm. They look like they're going to be outperforming that for sure. I also wonder, though, like, how scared are you of Detroit in a first-round playoff matchup? To me, not at all. You know, I think well, that's a team that's pretty easily beaten, but... I, that's moving the goalposts a little bit just because, you know, new arena, uh, they have, you know, Van Gundy's almost getting like hot seat chatter before the season. Everyone hates Reggie as we've been over and over and over. And then Drummond's career is like a question mark. Is like, is this guy good? Is he helpful or not? Um, a lot of those things have gone by the wayside. If they make the playoffs, that's a big, you know, victory for them, even if they don't go anywhere.
0: Yeah, I mean, looking at this, and you talk about terrifying playoff teams, that was my takeaway watching Sixers Warriors the other night. The Sixers actually played Golden State pretty close through the first half. I think they might have been up by 1 at halftime. They were they were either up by 1 or down by 1 before KD came out in the third quarter and just like blew them off the court as is the Warriors custom. But the Sixers like they are very close to putting things together. And they, they still make five or six like dumbass plays in every game that will probably cost them some regular season wins. But that team, if they're healthy at the end, is going to be so scary in a playoff series because they're just so much bigger than everybody. They're surrounding Simmons with shooters. And Bede is the most talented player in on most of the, the courts that he plays on. And it's just going to be like really interesting to see what they can actually do if if they can make it to the finish line healthy
1: i mean that's the next step of the sort of perpetual comparisons to the thunder that they were always you know going for during the process of like hey we just need to get three all-stars to build around like those young young thunder teams you know like when they were first getting into the playoffs like that was nobody wanted to play them you know what i mean like when you're dealing with yeah. westbrook harden and durant like all under 25 Uh, who cares what seed they are? That's like the mismatch you don't want to have. That could be Philly's future here, whether it's this year
0: and definitely next year. The one team that I don't see, currently the Magic are eight and five and in third place in the East. And that's one where I sort of see them tumbling all the way down and out of the playoffs, um, which I feel bad about, but it sort of feels like, Things are starting to correct themselves a little bit. Like they got blown off the court um, in Denver, I think it was Saturday night, and uh, they they made a little comeback in the second half. But then, sort of, the Nuggets kicked it back into gear, and I think won by twenty. So I don't know. I don't know if I see it with them, but just in general, where this is a public service announcement, the East was supposed to be a flat out train wreck this year, and I don't know. It's it's gonna be fun. like, there are 10 different ways the the final playoff picture could play out right now, and uh, it's going to be absolute chaos on the way there the next few months.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm almost positive before the season started, I said there was, like, four teams in the East that might actually matter, maybe five. Yeah. And I, we can up that number right now to me, like, to nine or ten, you know, in terms of, like, teams that you consistently should be watching, whether it's for what they can do this year in the postseason or, like, what their future is going to become like New York to me is like 10 times more relevant right now than I expected. Um yeah. and th- there's some other teams
0: that kind of fit that bill too. I mean, we expected like 60 losses from the Knicks and they are at really look like a good team. They're playing we're we're recording this before Knicks Cavs tonight, which is heartbreaking, but uh they look like they might actually be a playoff team if if Kristaps can stay healthy. But Yeah, like, look let's... I don't
1: want to go full vision quest on on Kristaps I'll save you that. But yes. I was I, I was writing about him over the weekend and my mind was going to some like really crazy places. Like I was thinking, who do I <laughs> who do I kind of comp him to? Like when he's flying across the paint with the ball outstretched like there's hints of Kareem. And then when he's like facing guys up on the perimeter, like there's a lot of KD to him. He's scoring from absolutely everywhere, whether it's like deep Steph Curry territory all the way to the rim on the lobs. Uh, I mean, it's really, really a sight to behold. And I was like thinking in my mind, okay, let's design the Porzingis stopper. Like who's the guy who's just gonna like make his life miserable one-on-one defensively. Like basically you need Rudy Gobert's length, and height around the basket to like contest his dunks. Then you need to have Draymond's motor to like just get under yeah. his skin and make him uncomfortable. But then if you're really going to challenge and like contest his three-pointers, you have to have KD's versatility. And then once he puts the ball on the deck going side to side, you probably want to have Kawhi's hands to sort of like harass his handle. So basically the Porzingis stopper requires like the top four defensive player of the year (laughs) candidates rolled into one. Like that's how you handle this guy. It's ridiculous. I mean, I believe he leads the league in usage right now. Uh, I think he's a top three scorer. If you look at his stats, I mean, this guy is a top five MVP candidate right now at age 22. It's insane. I mean, I expected big things from him. I was all about, hey, let's praise New York for their big summer. Get rid of Phil, get rid of Melo, get rid of Rose. They went three for three. I didn't see this coming, even for two weeks. Even if this is the if this moment jinxes the rest of their season, I still didn't see what we've. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see it coming. Uh, what we've already seen the first couple weeks of the season.
0: Yeah, not at all. I will say. I am officially well, two announcements here. First of all, I pulled off a trade for Porzingis with my fantasy team this, yes! this past weekend. Yes. So team Sharp. Team a, Sharp has
1: Porzingis. Yes.
0: Yes, I'm officially all in on Porzingis. So I as you notice, there, there will be an uptick in Porzingis talk on this podcast over the next three to four months. Um but I will say also that I had to trade four good players for him and am pretty terrified that I bought Porzingis stock at the highest possible price in part because I just don't trust that good things can happen to the Knicks. Um, so I don't want to, I, we, sh- we should sort of temper our, our vision quests early on well, here. Uh, the
1: last time this happened, Ricky Williams ended up in a wedding dress on a magazine cover. The last time we saw like a four for one trade. Like that. <laughs>
0: exactly. I'm Mike, Mike Ditka right now and it's Perfect. dangerous. Um, I'm not super confident, but listen, we're going to come back to Porzingis. Let's talk about the West here uh what's your what's your take of what we're seeing because it sort of looks like a mess like everything past houston golden state and san antonio
1: well there's just a lot happening like it's really all happening like the thunder everyone kills them then paul george like responds immediately and has great back-to-back games and w- games they really needed to win the clippers are like very quietly on this extended losing streak and you know Gallo not being there is is already showing that that was a concern that we had uh, that we were right to have entering the season. Um mm-hmm. I think we should talk about this Gobert thing for just a second because 2 years ago when he was injured, he missed like a month in the middle of the season. They basically won at like a 33% clip, something around that, you know. I mean, they were well below 500 without him during that stretch. Uh um, Yeah. I mean you can make the argument okay they've got Ekbe Udo so they can like at least you know plug in like a defensive mind center if they need to um, but they were already really hit or miss. I mean their offense was so bad that you know if they weren't kind of like playing at least a B plus on offense they were often not in position to win games. Uh, so to me like overall big picture they were behind my expectations for them. You know yeah. getting A month without Gobert, or if it stretches to six uh, weeks without Gobert, really is going to put them in a tough spot. I mean, that could drop them as low as like 11th, maybe 12th. Uh, I think it really opens the door for a team like New Orleans. I mean, they need every break that they can get, uh, given the state of their roster. If you take Utah out of that picture, you know, now... Uh, New Orleans can feel like more positive momentum. They're not sort of walking on eggshells quite to the same degree as they might have been heading into the trade deadline uh, if they're in that playoff picture. Uh, So I think that is sort of where a lot of my uh, attention has been, other than the Thunders, you know, strange up and down quirks. And then also Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota, I don't know if you saw that game.
0: Before we talk talk Minnesota, I want to ask you about the Jazz. Do you feel responsibility for the way this season has sort of spiraled downward?
1: Why is that? Because I told you congratulations, welcome to the Jazz bandwagon, (laughs) and then they haven't won a game since.
0: Because what's happened is you've induced me into this league pass addiction of yours, and now I'm up. Tweeting about the Jazz, watching the Jazz, getting sucked in. And since I wrote that column, they've lost, I think, like five of six games. Ricky Rubio's offense has gone off a cliff. Uh, Like, they, I think they scored like 75 points against the Heat a couple, at some point last week, which was really brutal, like a throwback to late 90s basketball that we all ignored. And, for a minute I was I was beginning to feel guilty. No, oh but the, my gosh. the more I thought about it, it's really your fault and this podcast's fault Andrew, for tricking me on. into caring about the jazz.
1: Come on, have some accountability here. What are you gonna do? Go into the courtroom and say, Your Honor, Your Honor, he put the remote control in my hand. But I was the one who pulled the trigger, but he gave me the remote. No, who pulled the trigger? Who pushed the on button? You did. You have to listen, own that. Listen, listen, this isn't a court of law.
0: This isn't a court of law. I'm just saying you have to live with yourself. You know what you did to the Utah Jazz. You brought me into the fold and everything that ha- that has happened since is on you.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to help our Australian listeners win their bets. You know, Like I said, as soon as you get excited about something, just go the other way. And I'm sure there's people who made a lot of money (laughs) off the Jazz's struggles this past week betting against them. So good for them. Hey, uh, while we're talking about this though, we should talk about Oklahoma City because I lit them up last week, not only on the podcast, but in a column, just basically saying like, look, you guys need to show Paul George some respect. I mean, you need to give this guy you know, true second billing here. I mean, this whole idea of like, you know, the three-headed monster with Melo, that was coming out Paul George's expense. And over the weekend, I mean, I think they had some sort of a team meeting after their losing streak. And, and I'm sure getting George was, uh, you know, more actively involved was a priority because you look out the next night, the ball is moving better. He's taking a lot more shots. He's really looking like the Paul George of old. And then Melo misses a game Uh, you know, due to a minor injury over the weekend. And again, Paul George is just going off against Dallas and, you know, granted it's Dallas. Uh, Yeah. This looks like a much healthier version of the Thunder, especially on offense. I mean, obviously we want to always see more ball movement from them. They're always way at the bottom in terms of passing and they get super stagnant and predictable late in games. But keeping Paul George engaged to me, it's the X factor to their whole season. Uh, and we saw pretty demonstrable progress on that
0: uh, over the last couple of days here. You know what I was curious about is like who do you think talks in the in the Thunder team meeting? because I can't really picture Russ like standing on a stool and like gathering everyone around and sort of rallying guys. that just doesn't seem like his personality. I bet then, uh,
1: I bet Enos Cantor just Skypes in and gives everybody his take. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Quick pep talk for my family. Um, yeah, I can see that. that. That's as good a theory as any because beyond that, it's just sort of like an awkward group because Russ is so domineering that I'm sure other people are reluctant to speak up, but... That was my that was my one question after the, the team meeting talk surfaced. Um, well, look, yeah, they do have I'm, a guy
1: who we, we nicknamed him Loose Lips, Paul George. I would anticipate he had a few things to say. Maybe not confrontationally, but I, I don't think he's afraid to speak his mind. And I also think Westbrook, in terms of his personality, we have seen some maturation here over the last couple of years, and just whether it's in terms of how he talks to the media or just kind of carries himself, I bet you he, he views himself Now that he's fully into this post-Kevin Durant era as the internal leader, a guy who's trying to make sure other people are comfortable, maybe it's awkward at times on the court in terms of how that plays out, whether he's overpassing or just kind of, you know, picking and choosing weird spots to, uh, to assert himself. Uh, but I would bet that he is the ringleader in those
0: conversations. So one more question on the thunder, Um, obviously, they sort of stabilized things over the weekend, got Paul George involved, took your advice, uh, which I do think is like that's gonna be critical for them because Paul George is like 85, 90 percent of what Durant was and but he needs a little bit more investment and he needs more touches um, and they'll they'll need to run some more sets for him um, in order to like get that version of Paul George. Um, so hopefully, that's where they're headed Uh, but they stabilized over the weekend so you have to sort of temper your criticism but what I want to know is how high were you as the chief Thunder hater of the podcast watching Emmanuel Moutier just go through their defense and get whatever (laughs) he wanted to slay them on Thursday night where where was your head at then you can't totally spike the football today but I wanted I just take me back to Thursday night
1: No, that was the end of their really rough losing streak. I mean, once they got punked by Moody, they were like, okay, team meeting. Now we got to get serious. So that's the warning (laughs) sign, right? Uh, No, it's really weird because if you look at their clutch defense, and I kind of put this in one of the columns I wrote, it's like... Basically, every opponent just tries to get Stephen Adams away from the basket right like as soon as he's away from the basket, whether it's a high screen or do they just you know use a a center like horford on the perimeter just kind of pull him away the bat uh, away from the basket once they do that it's like the rest of their defense just loses its mind all at the same time and you just have all these like wide open layups and cuts and just you know forced fouls around the basket because guys like whether it's Carmelo or or Robertson or Paul George. I mean, none of those guys is really like that rim protecting type presence. Like they don't have the Ibaka or the Kevin Durant from previous years to sort of cover once Adams is out in space. And so it was like remarkable to me how, you know, even these teams with like very inexperienced guards or Uh, you know, teams that are relatively new, throwing together new pieces, especially during that losing streak. And you could put Sacramento in this mix too. I mean, that's really where it got ugly, is they're just giving up all these points late in games because they don't really have much uh, interior defense uh, on their roster besides Adams. And I think, you know, everyone kind of harps on Melo for all sorts of different things. And, you know, I think he's probably going to uh, adjust pretty well into a smaller offensive role. I think they're going to come around to that being their best case scenario offensively, but I'm not sure if there's any way he can be that competent like backline uh, help defender once Adams is out of the picture, right? Like I don't know if you can coach him into that or ask him to be able to do that. I just don't know if he's physically capable of it. So it'll be interesting to see how do they adjust so they don't get themselves in those situations because it was it's just been so easy for everybody uh, to score on them. Obviously, they have the worst clutch defense in the league. Um, but it's, it's like watching tic-tac-toe these teams, dicing them up late in games. And, you know, we'll see if that improves. I mean, it it could help just, you know, more time together, more cohesion. Uh, you know, you could see, you know, smarter help decisions, especially for maybe guys like George or whatever, but, uh, it does seem like a real concern.
0: Yeah. Um, well you're back down to ground level, but I would have really enjoyed, High horse, Gulliver. Thursday night at like three AM. Um, hey, look, but... the
1: results speak for themselves. If they're calling <laughs> team meetings, they're in a crisis. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's all um, I'm saying. All
0: right, a couple more teams before we move to some questions here. Um, and I've enjoyed what? this just a free a free flowing tour through the league. Um, hold on, hold on one
1: second. Can we talk about Minnesota? Because that was the team I was going to mention. I feel like all eyes should be on them right now.
0: Don't you think? Uh, yeah. I mean. All I should be on them, but at the same time, I, like don't watch wolves wolves games because you will just <laughs> get frustrated <laughs> and uh, they are really ugly. Not as good as their record indicates. I can't believe they blew the Suns game Saturday night. Uh, that was one where like I think they were up six or eight points late, and the Suns. My guy TJ Warren, thirty five and six on Saturday night, uh, but it was just like. That's a more accurate version of the Wolves um, than the team that, like, is beating the Thunder twice and looks like they're going to finish in the top half of the West. Like, I think people who aren't watching this team closely might think that everything's working, but it just isn't really.
1: Yeah. And that's why I was saying, you know, keep an eye on them, too, because as we're looking for these teams that are currently in the playoff picture, maybe would drop out. I'm not sure it's inconceivable that, you know, these guys are like scraping along in that battle for the eighth seed by the time this is all kind of said and done. Because mm. I agree. I I don't think they're as good as their record. Um, there are some other teams that are kind of questionable. You know, they have some downside potential. You know, Memphis. You know, Denver is probably not as good as its record right now. Um, you know, New Orleans is always like one fluky thing away from just being a complete tire
0: fire. Uh, but I well, don't know. Like, well, was, that was going to be my last question is – how real do you think this Grizzlies start is? And like the Nuggets are a team where they might actually be starting to figure some things out um, because they they're one team that really did have an excuse over the first week or two as they try to integrate like completely new piece in Paul Millsap and try to keep the offense clicking. And the offense has started to pick back up over the last couple weeks, um, and I could see them actually finishing like fourth or fifth in the west whereas i think after the first two weeks a lot of people wrote them off a little bit the grizzlies is the team that i i really have no idea how to gauge
1: yeah i mean it's mike conley and marcus are studs you know and when they're on the court together they're awesome and they have like such a proven track record of being about 500 um uh, you know it's basically unquestioned i mean i think if you're betting on them to come back to earth it's because you don't think those guys can play 82 games and i think that's you know a fair assumption one thing with the nuggets though i would be uh, a little bit nervous about they just came off this super long homestand where they played really really well i think that they were at home for like six games straight they go five and one I mean, they should have that home court advantage. Like when Denver has been decent over the last you 15, 20 years, they've always had really good home records. I think they're kind of getting back to that. Uh, I do wonder if some of their success is maybe just a bit of a mirage or it's influenced by the fact that they have had a pretty home heavy schedule here so far.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fair. I'll proceed with caution because I was was starting to shift my jazz enthusiasm back to the Nuggets, but I will hold off on jinxing their entire season. Um, To be honest, I'm not feeling a ton of enthusiasm for anyone. I mean, I think you
1: can make pretty strong arguments uh, as we have here over the last five or 10 minutes. And that's one reason why I wanted to talk about the West is I wouldn't call any of these teams frauds to borrow the phrase that you used to describe the Celtics earlier. Uh, but <laughs> don't pin me to
0: that. I was talking uh, about the hey, entire East. I'm,
1: I'm, I'm messing with them guys. Don't email in. Okay. I'm just, just playing with Sharp. Uh, Getting I think bo- that
0: bombarded they're with Celtics fans. Uh, yeah, no, There's I, basically I three
1: saying. good teams in the West. That's what I'm saying. And everybody else, you know, you could talk me in or out of them based on health and based on how well they kind of come together here. Um, I mean, to me, The most under-discussed story of the season is the Rockets. You don't like talking about the Rockets, so I'm not going to dwell on them, but they've been awesome here over the last month. To me, James Harden is the MVP frontrunner at this point. Uh, He's been phenomenal. Uh, And their offense just continues to blow away every possible boundary of what we expected in terms of three-point shooting. Uh, And it can be better than it has been, more efficient than it has been. Uh, So I think that they're in it for the long haul, and we're still waiting to see Chris Paul come back. Whether San Antonio gets to be that third team, is depends on whenever Kawhi Leonard gets released by you know his kidnappers. Uh, but everybody else <laughs> has significant enough flaws to me so far over the first month of the season that I don't think that they're in that level. That includes Oklahoma well, City, that includes Minnesota, it includes Memphis, who has certainly blown away all expectations to date, includes everybody.
0: And we should qualify that by saying that if they were in the East, they would be top two seeds and look awesome but in the west this is part of why i prefer the east this year is that it's just sort of more wide open and fun whereas the west a lot of the teams we're talking about are all in on these rosters that are imperfect and uneven and hard to sort of peg down and uh that i think is what sort of contributes to just sort of tense games. And it's not, it's not actually fun to watch some of these teams. And we were expecting one of the deepest fields in like the history of the NBA. And it hasn't really played out that way. And these teams, like the downside is a little dark. Like, I don't know what Minnesota does if they can't get things rolling with Jimmy Butler this year. I don't know what OKC does if Paul George leaves next summer. So like there is, there's significant downside for these teams that uh, sort of, Makes it a little darker in the West, which is why it's like the NFL—just a little too dark for me. Uh, Just I'd rather watch Porzingis do whatever he wants in the East. Yeah, the last
1: note about the West is—I think you mentioned earlier you were praising Philadelphia for like giving Golden State two good quarters there, and like yeah, that's fine. Like good—I mean Philly's been you know better than my expectations; they've been good. Golden State. (laughs) they're so far better than everyone that they're playing like 12, 13 guys every single night. It's like Kerr is just out there on his philosophical island of like every person matters. Every warrior matters, you know? Um, All warriors, bench scrubs, lives matter. (laughs) And I mean- like what they do in the third quarters is when they decide to actually play is insane. If you just look at their third quarter point differential, like it will basically break your computer's calculator. It's so high. And so from that standpoint, like if your favorite team, if you're just some random East Coast fan, you don't watch the Warriors a lot and you guys keep it close through halftime, don't talk yourself into that. <laughs> just, just wait to whatever happens in the third quarter. That's, that's uh, but- very
0: true. At some point, we need to have a longer conversation about the Warriors restrictor plate because I feel like Kerr... This is all by design from him, and I think that. And you've mentioned it in passing to me before. Like, with if you took Kerr off the Warriors bench and just let like Mike Brown coach them, they could go like thirty five and zero. And we're not seeing that. And it's it's just it's an interesting story. It's an interesting way to play it because this is like they really are like Kevin Looney. I don't know how many minutes he's actually playing, but it feels like every time I've seen the Warriors this year, Kevin Looney is on the court and I'm just kind of caught off guard by whatever Kerr is trying to do.
1: I mean, my great fear is that Zaza will somehow injure someone just because like he is the ultimate restrictor player. Right. And like the only way that backfires is if he like loses his body control and you know, God forbid there's like friendly fire, but one thing I'd say about the Warriors, like even with the restrictor plate on fully, their yeah. offense right now is basically like 7.6 points better from an efficiency, uh, offensive efficiency standpoint than the number two team. That is like the same as the gap between the number two team and the number 20 team. So, mm-hmm. like, even with the restrictor plate, they're lapping the field. Like, if this was the Indy 500, like, they would be drinking milk, you know, eyes closed in their cars. <laughs> just spin, just chilling. Spin, <laughs> spinning around all of the competition, no problem. So, it, yeah, it, I mean, it, it is just insane to think. Like, what if Kerr was just like, you know what? Eight-man rotation, D'Antoni style. Screw it. We're going for it. We're going to just try to put up 145 every night. Like, the type of records that they could set... Uh, they could they could do things that will never be broken if they wanted to
0: yeah um yeah i think they're looking to do that but do it over the course of like five or six years which is probably the method behind the restrictor plate madness is i think that they're looking to extend this and break like every dynasty record um although yeah. part of it You're also right. is just Kerr cur being stubborn the,
1: They're in it like marathon runners. They look at the Spurs and they're like, oh, 20 years of excellence? Okay, let's try for 25.
0: (laughs) Yeah, let's win eight straight titles and see who wants to talk. Um, All right, let's run through a couple quick questions here. So, Tom says, isn't it time to admit D'Angelo Russell stinks? The Nets are 20.9 points better with him off the floor. Spencer freaking Dinwiddie brings more to the table. First of all, don't hate on Spencer Dinwiddie (laughs) he's someone I loved coming into the draft like three or four years ago and it's great to finally see him shining uh but Ben you watched D'Angelo Russell hit a game winner over Portland the other night so where do you stand on this as an as a longtime D'Angelo hater
1: well that game was the type where the entire fan base all of the players all of the coaches definitely like turned the television off or walked away from the court and said, how did we possibly allow that to happen? Like, it was shameful. <laughs> I saw torches being thrown in Terry Stotts's direction in terms of having uh, Ed Davis on the court for the final possession. I mean, it really actually was bad. I mean, the decisive play, high screen of roll, Ed Davis switches on to D'Angelo Russell. Andrew, which way is D'Angelo Russell going, left or right?
0: Uh, left.
1: He's always going left. Which way did he get? Because Davis didn't realize that. He got left, and he got the end one. I mean, it was really, really well, pathetic. And Can you explain look,
0: why, wasn't, why wasn't Yusuf Nurkic on the court throughout the fourth quarter? Because he put up well, great that, numbers for the first three quarters, and the Nets don't really have a big man on the roster. So I don't understand what the, what the thinking was on that one.
1: Yeah, that was a cause of huge debate among the local media there. Uh, I think basically Stotz's idea was we have to be as versatile as possible defensively because the Nets are so small. And instead of trying to dictate the matchups, he basically kind of uh, allowed the Nets to dictate the matchups. And that probably wasn't the way to go. I mean, obviously Nurkic is going to struggle. I mean, you're going to try to attack him in late game situations. I think that's what he was trying to protect the center from. But, you know, you go back down the other way, like... When Quincy Acey was trying to guard (laughs) Nurkic at one point of the game, he was just like standing there with his arms straight up like he was a tree, just praying. Uh, So I could see why there was second guessing. I
0: I love that about the Nets, that they have built a basketball team out of eight players who are 6'7 or 6'8. It's a fun experiment. But a team like the Blazers, who's actually good and actually has a center, should like beat the crap out of them, and for some reason, they just sort of stopped on that one. As for the question, we don't have to spend too much time on D'Angelo. We've argued about him a lot. I'm clearly in the bag for him and have been for a while, but I just I think people need to chill the fuck out as far as like on off numbers and plus minus and uh, like efficiency (laughs) ratings just when you've got a guy no when you've got a guy in the first three or four years who can do the things that D'Angelo Russell does regularly like you just let him play and let him work it out out there and obviously he like sure Spencer Dinwiddie may be a better fit for what the Nets are trying to do now but that's it would be fucking stupid to play Spencer Dinwiddie 35 minutes a game. Like D'Angelo is the investment. Give him some time. I think if you played a lot of these guards who are currently dominating the league, this is the same deal with Devin Booker. Like just throw him out there and let him figure it out. It's not going to be like the, the metrics will tell you that they are overrated, that they can't do this, can't do that, but just give it some time. Like I, I, I understand that, analytics are a big reason that basketball has become so popular over the last few years. But I think we overdo it when we try to apply them to younger guys.
1: I mean, younger guys generally look worse by the analytics. So if younger younger guys, but if they do look really good by the analytics, like maybe say like a Ben Simmons, right? Then that is a huge star in their favor. I, I tend to look at it more like that. Like if a young guy comes in and has instant impact... In terms of wins losses you know positive net rating and he's like a major facilitator for his team or a major player for his team then like giant gold star if they're bad i just assume they're all bad right but here's the thing you've been telling (laughs) us to wait on russell you've been telling us to wait on russell for three years okay like at some point the the ship is going to you know sail away but the one reason why i'm going to kind of defend the emailer here russell might be the worst defensive player in the nba i mean he is really bad and No matter how much he grows on offense, I mean, to cover up for how bad he is defensively, he is going to have to be, like, unreal on offense. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not sure he's ever going to quite get to that level.
0: You know what, man? First of all, you're not wrong. (laughs) D'Angelo Russell's defense, even on opening night against the Pacers, where, like, uh, Darren Collison was getting whatever he wanted against D'Angelo Russell, like... It's not great right now, but the same can be said for a a number of superstar guards around the league.
1: I think there's a difference, though, sometimes, you know, between the guys who are like bad or like they get exploited or you have to hide versus the guys who are just absolute freaking train wrecks, unsalvageable. And I'm worried that Russell, if he's not already in that category, is heading very quickly
0: towards that category. Okay, but the the flip side of that argument is to say that the Nets don't have any real capable big man on the roster, and it's very difficult to build a competent defense without a good big man who can who can guard pick and rolls and protect the rim, and like they the Nets have just kind of punted on that, uh, and so it's hard to it's hard to grade anyone's defense when you're playing for a team that's kind of already lost before the game starts
1: okay so would you like to see him start showing progress on that end in his third season or are you, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> are you just gonna write him off like I as if it doesn't matter
0: forever <laughs> i sound like d'angelo russell's lawyer uh so it's probably time to move on you're right D- defensively he's got some issues my only point is just give him four or five years four or five years is a long time right.
1: <laughs> give him until he retires <laughs> wait just wait until he isn't inducted into the hall of fame at that point he will you start playing defense
0: no just watch footage of the game winner in portland and you'll be fine um well D'Angelo's hey, gonna figure D- it D- out
1: This is the scenario that he needs though, right? Like he needs a place where people don't really care about how bad his defense is and he can have a green light so he can get that confidence in those reps to be a a plus offensive player. He's got to figure out his shot though still too, I think. I mean, he needs to have that off the dribble three to fill out his offensive game. So when he gets into those high pick and rolls, he's just like, you don't know where to go. Like, what do we do? Do we crowd him? Do we let him turn the corner? Do we let him get to the basket? Uh, If he doesn't have that knockdown three, and I still want to see that from him, uh, then I'm going to remain very, very skeptical uh, of his ceiling. But look, this is the exact situation he wants. And you know, honestly, Lin going down is kind of a blessing in disguise, right? Because it removes any real level of expectations, and it just gives him that much more of a green light.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to finish up with um, ten minutes on Porzingis?
1: I mean, I gave you my best Porzingis stuff already, but <laughs> I, I do, We did have what? We did we have one emailer? What was the
0: emailer? All right, so Ben in Brisbane says, Hi, Ben and Andrew. The Porzingis comparison is obvious. Did you ever hear of a website called YouTube? There's this guy called Arvidas Sabonis, who's 7'3", from a former Soviet republic. He stretched the floor, he blocked shots, and he was really the first ever unicorn. You should look him up on there. At his peak, he was like a thicker Chris I'm not surprised that Andrew's lack of knowledge of basketball legends since he's such a recent convert to the game, <laughs> but I'm surprised <laughs> Gulliver hasn't heard of him as the noted Olympics, Olympics enthusiast. I'm disappointed. All right, Ben. Well, congratulations to you for somehow trolling both of us and making us both upset. Uh, I have actually recently been talking to people who are involved with Arvita Sabonis and that Soviet team in the 80s Olympics. So, while I may seem like a casual fan, uh, I do have a little bit of knowledge of that and uh, and, and that Guys, era. Andrew in, in basketball. likes basketball. Andrew <laughs>
1: likes basketball and he's not an
0: idiot. I call him a casual fan because it's funny. That's it, it's not true. Look. All I'm saying is I don't actually think that Sabonis is the right comp for Porzingis because Sabonis Of course was, he's
1: not the right comp.
0: Yeah, okay. He was known for his passing and was like a brilliant passer along the lines of Nikola Jokic, Balkan Ben Golliver, but was not uh, ever as explosive as Porzingis is now.
1: Yeah, so I will admit that Ben and Brisbane successfully trolled me. And the reason why is because... <laughs> At the end of the email, he wrote disappointed. And that just got to me for whatever reason. I try to resist some of these troll emails that we get, but I had to write back and I said, Ben in Brisbane, I'm disappointed in you because we talked about Arvita Sabonis during our summer podcast, about the five favorite games that we had watched. And Sabonis, yep. you'll remember, got picked by Michael Jordan on one of my favorite games. And I, you know, I said, you know, I'm just disappointed that, you know, you wouldn't be that enough of a diehard listener. Uh, to remember that story, and he wrote back within like two minutes to be like, "Dude, I was just trying to troll you so that I could get my question on the air." <laughs> like and my back, <laughs> it worked it brilliantly, worked. <laughs> and then I felt even worse because why did I have to be so snarky coming back at Ben in Brisbane, a loyal Australian listener? So Ben, I apologize to you, but Andrew's correct. As you know, this is not a great comp. Uh, I think Porzingis is passing, is coming. You know, he's going okay. to face a lot more double teams as we were discussing. You know, in terms of like the Porzingis stopper Frankenstein metaphor, where you have to like put together four guys into one body who would actually be able to handle him one on one, teams are going to have to just start throwing the kitchen sink at him. That's that's definitely coming, Uh, and so he's going to need to learn to read those double teams, make the right passes. In New York, their whole roster building philosophy going forward over the next five years is find guys who can really play off of him. So I think that will be, you know, what's to come. But when you're talking about Sabonis' level of passing. That's not something you just stumble into at 23, mid-career when you're facing exactly. double teams. Like, <laughs> like Sabonis is born, Mozart, man. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of born with that level of vision. And so I, I don't see that from Porzingis, um, but clearly that's not like a, a slam on him. Also, I mean, Sabonis is not doing like pull-up Hezy jimbos, you know, like <laughs> Porzingis. Yeah. I mean, this, this guy's <laughs> h- handle and getting into his shots and the off-balance stuff and all that, yeah, you know, that, that wasn't Sabonis. Um, That's what I'm I mean, saying. Even, this is something you haven't Sabonis. really
0: seen. Um, it, it's it's definitely more Dirk, if anything. But uh, let's move on. You mentioned help for Porzingis. This is something we didn't get to last week. But Daniel says, "Hey guys, hear me out." As you guys talked about last week, Porzingis is becoming a bona fide superstar. LeBron needs a young number one option for when his skills start to decline, similar to how Kareem had young magic in his latter days. He goes to New York, recruits other free agents because he's LeBron and it's New York wins a couple titles and becomes a Knicks icon. Do you see this happening? Uh, should we discuss LeBron's hating on Phil Jackson from this weekend? Also, um, where do you stand on LeBron in New York?
1: Well, I like where he's going. The value of a, a player who's an established superstar on a rookie contract is so important for roster building or for like you know teaming up. And from that standpoint, Porzingis really is kind of unique because like Giannis has already gotten paid. Uh, you know, a bunch of these other guys who are pretty young and and like really breaking out this year have already gotten on their second contract, so it makes it trickier. But I think. James Dolan to me, he kind of falls into that camp. Like, remember when I told that story about Mark Furman, you know, going to get his autograph and like being at his book reading, and you know, at some <laughs> at some point you like mature and you realize like that's not a good look. Like, I shouldn't have been doing that. I shouldn't have been at Mark Furman's book reading. Sure. I kind of feel I kind of feel like James Dolan's in that camp. I mean, people are forgetting about this Charles Oakley thing, like it never happened. Like, I get Porzingis is amazing. The owners still had Charles Oakley, franchise legend, forcibly removed from the garden by security not that long ago during the middle of this very fraught political environment. Can we have LeBron like swallow all of that and and, you know shake hands and make a deal with Dolan for, you know, a max contract to be the face of the Knicks? I mean if I'm LeBron, I'm thinking, look, I don't want to be anywhere near Dolan. I don't want to have anything to do with him. And uh, you know, I'm treating it like, you know, like myself and saying, look, you know, my Mark Furman autograph hunting days are over.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, he's he's also spent the last four years with Dan Gilbert. So I feel like LeBron is strong enough to deal with anyone at this point. And,
1: How many deals with the devil can you justify, Andrew? How many can you live with? <laughs>
0: I don't know. I'm, I'm all in on D'Angelo Russell. So you tell me. Uh, the LeBron side of this... The LeBron, it actually makes sense for LeBron. I don't want it to happen for Chris um, Like I, I love LeBron. I love that he took shots at Ennis Cantor today. He said, uh, I, I have it here. He said, I wasn't throwing shade at Frank at all for people that got their pants in a bunch. This is clarification for anyone who, who just lives in a box and for Ennis Cantor, who's always got something to say. I don't know what's wrong with him. And um, Cantor does always have something to say, it's, he's been an enemy of this podcast for several months now. And uh, I love LeBron for his Cantor shots almost as much as I love him for the for the Trump shots. But I don't want him playing with Porzingis. I like let's just let the Porzingis story run its course on his own. Like LeBron has a way and we saw it with Kyrie, obviously, like, he just sort of absorbs all of the attention and the energy from the people around him. And it's great for what it is. He's one of the three best players of all time. And he's been one of the most interesting athletes to follow, but just let Chris Stapps do his thing by himself. I I think like I would, I would much rather have someone like Paul George go play with Porzingis than have uh, LeBron go play with him.
1: Yeah, I feel you. I also think like it's time for LeBron to win now. You know, I want him to go to a place that has more ready structure, that has more superstar talent on hand. And you know, not that New York. I mean, their, their roster is kind of overperforming so far, I'd say, in terms of expectations. But I mean, how many other guys do you see on that roster who are going to go toe to toe with the Warriors in the finals? Like next year's finals, two thousand eighteen, or I guess two thousand nineteen finals. Um, not too many. You know, that's yeah. that's a, a, a real, like, reload, retool process there to me. Um, and, like, the vision of, like, the long-term future of Chris Tapps and LeBron. Uh, to me, that's not as enticing for LeBron as a place like Houston or San Antonio, you know, our favorite San Antonio, where a lot more of those, uh, those blocks are already in place.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Um, two more questions here. First, Ken says, open floor would you rather have clay thompson or jimmy butler who would you take
1: well in the past i would have said jimmy pretty quickly he's having a weird season kind of right i mean i don't how would you explain his season today
0: um andrew wiggins is overrated would be one way uh (laughs) tibbs is not as good of a coach as we thought is another way to explain it uh no, I, I do think that he's he's out of sorts, and part of it is probably on him, and part of it is just the the challenge of trying to integrate all those pieces in Minnesota. I would take Clay though um, over wow. over Jimmy and over a lot of guys. Uh, I just think like, like even someone threw out the question of like what star would you want next to Giannis, and Clay is high up on my list. And he just fits with so many other players around the league. Whereas Jimmy, like you kind of have to run everything through him to get the most out of what he can do. And I don't know if he's quite good enough to justify that investment.
1: Yeah, I do think our, uh, our take on clay or our impression of clay is kind of shaded by the fact that he is in the absolute best possible scenario for himself. Uh, with Steph and now with KD as well, I mean, uh, certainly he contributes to how good Golden State is. But like, if you were designing a scenario for Clay's success in terms of what he does well and what he doesn't do well, that would be the scenario. Um, well, so I do think if you threw if you true. threw Clay into a vacuum, if you threw Clay into a vacuum, uh, and you made him dribble and play make a little bit more, and the turnovers added up, and maybe you know his limited finishing through traffic starts to become more of an issue and he doesn't have maximum space and teams are able to really key on him when he is moving off the ball more than they can now because there's so many other threats. I think he would look meaningfully worse than he does now. I'm not saying he'd be bad. I just don't think he would look as perfect as he does.
0: That's true to a point, but I also think that you can take 10 teams around the league right now. Like Put him on any good team and he's going to be really, really good. And his role won't be dramatically different than what we're seeing in Golden State. Like, if you put Clay next to Harden in Houston, he would be just as dangerous. Put him on the Spurs, just as dangerous. The Celtics, just as dangerous. He's just like, he's a player who is going to be super valuable to a really good team. Um Whereas, this is
1: gonna sound this is gonna sound condescending, but <laughs> this is showing a real evolution of thought from you, and I'm really proud. I completely agree. I mean, he's, <laughs> we call it during the top 100. We call that like transferability, right? Like how how many different scenarios would Clay work in? And there's no question. Like if you have a lead guard who is scoring minded, or you have a system that's built outside in, Clay is yeah. gonna fit basically anywhere, and he's multi positional. So yeah, I mean, we've definitely are right to value all of those things. Uh, I think I might still pick Jimmy, but just barely. Uh, and well, Jimmy's your it,
0: guy. You wrote a cover story
1: on no, Jimmy Butler, no, so you're
0: it's unreliable. Not, it's not so much about here. that.
1: No, get out of here. Don't don't even try to pay me with that brush. <laughs> uh, I've written a few stories about Clay over the years. You might have heard of the Golden State Warriors as the greatest team in the league. <laughs> sure, for four sure, years running. That's true. But, uh, you
0: were there for the Clay Thompson religious experience in OKC. Uh, I, I think if you just strictly applied the
1: vacuum test. Uh, uh-huh. You know, you would say, you know, Jimmy can do a little bit more offensively. He's a little bit re- less reliant on others. And, you know, if you gave them, you know, equal supporting casts, uh, his talent would show through just a little bit more. Uh, you know, Clay is a phenomenal defensive player, too. I think people are drawn to Jimmy's sort of ferocity on defense, uh, and they yeah. might be prone to overlooking Clay's discipline on defense and his intelligence on defense, um, uh, so I think that's, I think it's really close basically on both ends, but, you know, clearly, you know, clay is a historic three point shooter and that is what makes him so transferable. And I think that's why, you know, some of these early issues in Minnesota, like if you just put clay in there, uh, instead of Jimmy, it's going to be a smoother transition just because, uh, you know, he's a pure floor spacer. He's, he's not trying to pound. Uh, he's not trying to, you know, take touches away from anybody else.
0: Yeah. Uh, Good breakdown there We're, to throw one more player into this mix. Um, we've we've hated on the Celtics a, a decent amount, uh, and we have hated on Kyrie on and off for like six months. But I will say that watching Kyrie against Clay in the finals last year was pretty unbelievable because I began by watching Clay Thompson's defense on Kyrie, and he was just like. Smothered on that on Kyrie and uh, was following him all over the floor and was just sort of like in his jersey the entire time And it was working great for the first game or two And then it was like clay just didn't matter anymore and Kyrie still went off for 35 and 40 and and was getting whatever he wanted And that was when it was like oh shit like this is this is not a joke with Kyrie He really is like one of the most dangerous scorers at the at the finals level like he can sort of do whatever he wants regardless of who's guarding him
1: yeah that says a lot more about Kyrie than it does about clay for sure right exactly um, no shots how many clay? guys He's my guy yeah for sure because like how many guys could do that to clay i mean i think even if you looked at the other elite point guards there's not many
0: yeah um all right last question from iago he says holy shit! i was watching Jokic versus the thunder and i thought to myself does he look like ben Golliver? Then I heard Friday's pod, classic. I just want to say yep. thank you to J.E. Skeets for bringing this <laughs> comparison to the masses because Balkan Ben Goliver, man. every t- I've I've seen uh, two Nuggets games since then and I'm just delighted every time I remember that Jokic is basically 6'10 Ben Goliver. And uh, that's all I have to say yeah
1: I'll be honest. I kind of want an apology because you were clowning my posture, and that one that actually hurt a little <laughs> bit. Like I thought I'm this sorry, was like a bas- no, I thought this was like a basketball podcast, not like good housekeeping. like what's next? Like you're gonna call me off for having my uh, pinky finger on my teacup or something? I mean, give me a break. But in terms of the Jokic thing, uh, I think if you basically super glued my earlobes to my head so they weren't attached like detached. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you if you broke my nose and then just like didn't let me get it fixed, so it was just like flattened out, smashed broken nose, sort of like a hockey player's nose. And then you sort of put a laser pointer, basically if you just pointed the la- a laser pointer right between my eyebrows so that my eyes were like kind of like naturally drawn to it. I right. think at that point that point I could see the Jokic comparisons.
0: Look, don't fight it. All right, your doppelganger <laughs> is a superstar. <laughs> He's awesome. He's one of the most entertaining players in the league. Just own it. I'm I'm dealing with Omer, Ashik, Ron Baker. Somebody hit me up and said maybe I was like pre heroin Robert Swift, which is just, oh, uh, just tough across the board. See, I, that's the thing, really Andrew. Why? Struggling. You
1: you gotta you gotta have some self respect, okay? You're putting yourself in some <laughs> classes of people here you just do not belong in, okay? Maybe Ron Baker I could see, but these other guys are just terrible. Look, guys. This was a pretty solid podcast, I'd say. Wouldn't you agree? Open yeah. floor mail at gmail.com. Five star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Send us some more incredibly uh, sketchy people that Andrew might look like and go ahead and make fun <laughs> of my, my giant slump shoulders and uh, you know bulk and look. Uh, Andrew, until later this week.
0: Yes. Thank you so much. We will talk Friday. And thank you to everybody who's reviewed. I think we threw out a a goal of 500 reviews, uh, 500 five-star reviews before Christmas. And we are very close to that goal. We're at like 486 or something. Last time I I checked. I hate to
1: fact check you. Didn't you say like 300 and I was like, no, my goal is 500. I'm pretty sure (laughs) that's how you you
0: upped the ante. I didn't think we could get there. So we really appreciate the love. For some reason, that helps with the iTunes algorithm and uh yeah man good uh good run through today free flowing
1: one last easter egg for our listeners guys if you get us above 500 (laughs) sorry if you guys get us above 500 five star reviews on apple podcasts and you push my instagram follower total of above andrews I will post a gallery of all of my magnets onto Instagram. That will be my Christmas present to you guys. So check me out. Ben.golver on Instagram. Andrew, I know nobody else is listening, so we should probably go.
0: I'll talk to you. <laughs> Alright, take it easy, man. Another great edition of open floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics warriors fans search locked on warriors yes all 30 nba teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the locked on podcast network search on apple podcasts or google podcasts for locked on your favorite team or tell your smart speaker to play podcast locked on your favorite team it's the locked on podcast network your team every day